Welcome to the Licensing Podcast, where we take what may seem like the extremely boring and try to make it a little less boring. Each episode is geared towards a story to help provide you with some of the background of where these topics come from, why they work the way they work, and what you can do about it on your test. We're going to provide a lot of realism. Unfortunately, you can only provide so much fun. Welcome back again, guys. This is going to be section number two of our interview portion of our podcast. We still have Brent Hardy on the line. He's been gracious enough to come back. This time around, we're going to be talking about testing. And really, the thing that we hear a lot of is a student will come up and say something like, sometimes I don't always know what the question wants from me, or I feel like it's leading me a certain way, and it's not the way I want to go, or I really can't even decipher anything about it. So I just sit there and and kind of stare at it. So to that kind of question, Brent, what would you say is a good tactic to work around that problem? Great. Thanks, Jason. And I hear this kind of question a lot. It's I I kind of like to call it what to do when you don't know what to do. Um, So if you read a question what I always suggest is instead of taking the time to, uh, you know, figure out what your answer to the question is and then trying to find your answer out of the four choices they give you, my suggestion is to actually read the question and then read all the answers. You know, I always kind of jokingly say when you're taking this test, the best thing about it is it's multiple choice. There are only four possible answers for you to pick from. You don't have to pick from the world of 1,800 testable topics and try to figure out which one to pull down to answer this question with. Um, in other words, it's not fill in the blank. Um, so when you read the question, my first thought for you to do is read the answers. Um, sometimes by reading the answers, you'll actually know what they're asking you in the question, whereas it may not have been clear to you at first just by reading the question what they were looking for. Um, so take the answers as context clues, and those context clues will help you figure out what you need to do on the question. You know, Um, Brent, sorry to interrupt you for a second, but I want to highlight that as well. It's something I've noticed in my region is the reality that we sometimes forget that the answers are really important context clues. I wanted to add that echo. So um, I'll go ahead and turn it back over to you to keep going. But I I think that was a great point you just mentioned. Sometimes the clues are in the answers. Right. And so it kind of hits on a few other test-taking skills that you might be able to use while you're taking the test. Um, using those context clues certainly can be helpful. Um, the other part of it that can be helpful is when you're reading a question um, and you read the answer choices, most of the time there's one of the choices you can immediately exclude is having nothing to do with the question. Um, so we like to call those uh, kind of distractors. In other words, it's something that may in fact be true, but it has nothing to do with this particular question. Um, one of the other answers is probably going to be uh, something that uh, actually is not really anything to do with any of the questions at all, um, uh, what I like to call a decoy answer, um, something that maybe you haven't seen before but kind of sounds like what it might be the answer, um, and you can exclude that one. So a lot of times you're going to end up with a choice uh, between two particular answers. A lot of times it's word association that will help you get those answers. Um, so as you're going through the content and information, kind of getting the vocabulary down uh, and, and learning that can actually be a test-taking skill for you because you can use that information when you're actually going through the test uh, to make a selection of the possible answers. 
So one thing that I'm hearing you say, I, I think is really good in terms of focusing on these clues and using these word associations to help hunt down different answers. I think something that people struggle a lot with, and I know I do on my finals occasionally, is it seems to happen more maybe in the regs chapter than anywhere else. But sometimes it feels like you get that one question where all four answers are wrong or bad. Do you have any tips on what I'm supposed to do when I run into a situation like that? Well, if you look at all the four answers and you think that all the answers are wrong, uh, a lot of times I try to kind of go back to the old adage, um, make sure you read the question and know what the question is asking for. Um, what happens a lot of times is uh, the answers uh, may seem uh, vague or, or seem like they're not the good choices for the question. Um, it comes down to actually going back and looking at the question again um, to make sure that you're actually putting those answers in the context of the question um, to make it a little bit easier to answer the question. So if we make it more situational, more in the moment, it should help make one of those sound a little more reasonable, even if they all do sound a little funny. Absolutely. All right. So uh, what I'm feeling like we're hearing here is a, a, maybe a summary, if you will, is we're talking about making sure that we're focusing on the vocabulary to give us some word association clues. We're focusing on the answer out of the gate to help us with some context clues to focus on where we're going. And we're taking a lot of confidence out of the fact that one of the answers has to be there. We don't have to self-generate the answers. And if we're ever in a situation where we feel like all four are wrong, that's just another hint to us that we need to change the perspective from which we're bringing to the question. Does that sound like a, a good roundup of everything we talked about today? Uh, absolutely. Um, now, I will kind of take it just one step further. Um, when you're thinking about uh, those situations where you, you know, you've read the question, you read the answer choices, you, you go back and look at the question, and you're just thinking to yourself, I have no idea what the answer to this question is. A lot of times you have to kind of take a step back and figure out, is this question something difficult that is going to take more time for me to answer that I'm going to be able to answer? Or, in fact, is it simply, uh, you know, information that I'm not as familiar with um, and I'm going to have to make a decision? Um, the test actually sometimes is set up in a way to make you uh, make a decision um, a little more difficult for you by not giving you the most clear answer to a question. Um, so uh, sometimes you have to kind of check yourself and say, you know, when I read this question, I was already leading myself to what the answer was. Then when I read the answers, it seemed very confusing because none of them were that answer. And so sometimes you can look back and, and, and really take a step back uh, uh, and review that question to figure out what they're really asking you. I think that's a great point. In fact, it has makes me remember we have a colleague who helps write some of these test questions from a FINRA perspective, and, and he commonly says one of the things they're tasked with is making sure the most common wrong answer is one of those choices so that any student who's feeling like they want to grab the shortcut will be led down a wrong path. So I think that's a great reminder point. So I really appreciate your time today, Brent. Thanks for getting on and talking to us about some test-taking skills. I hope that everyone joins us in a couple for the next series where we'll talk a little bit about reviewing those tests that we've been taking. Have a great day, guys.